Hello, everyone. I am Ryan Muhammad with Becker's Hospital Review. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. In today's conversation, we're joined by Carrie Douglas, partner at Bracewell. Let's jump right into our conversation today. So, Carrie, what have been the good developments under the NSA? Well, the No Surprises Act was designed to keep the patient out of the issues on the reimbursement front between the providers and the payers. And I'm very pleased to say that that has largely transpired, where it has given a vehicle for the providers to be able to amicably resolve these disputes through the arbitration process. The other good thing that's come about that we're seeing on a development basis is that when we have a group of providers that have a similar resolution on the arbitration front, so or in the open negotiation period, that is opening the door to resuming network discussions. And we are seeing providers that were previously completely out of network starting to move into in-network at levels that are favorable to the providers. They're better for the payers because they're under what they were paying in the arbitration, but they're better than the out-of-network rates the providers were seeing. And also the in-network rates that the payers had previously provided to the providers. So that's been a really big win-win for all sides. Yeah, how amazing. Thank you so much for sharing those good developments. And I know it's in the news pretty often here, but I wanted to get your take on what have been some of the challenges we're seeing with the No Surprises Act. I hope you're sitting down for this. So right now we're seeing quite a few challenges, and I think some of them's on the implementation side as well as just overall volume. So one of the biggest things was the volume shocked everybody. The government had anticipated um, you know, a couple thousand filings happening at Lena being over 100,000 filings in the first year. And so the infrastructure just wasn't ready to be able to implement as quickly as possible. So what that's resulted in is there's been some lag because there's just not enough arbitral bodies. So when you file these arbitration disputes, you go through an IDRE. So that's an entity that is tasked with deciding, so adjudicating these determinations. There's just not enough bodies out there, arbitral bodies, to handle that, that, that volume right now. So that's one of the challenges. Another challenge we're seeing is that there's different modalities in terms of how the payers let us know what the first initial claims analysis is. So that's either through an explanation of benefits or what most commonly we see is with electronic fund transfers, we do what's called an we get what's called an ERA. So an ERA is an electronic remittance advice. The ERAs and the EOBs, while in a perfect world should be identical, don't match. And so the ERAs, which is the most common vehicle for the providers to get their reimbursement information, doesn't reflect all the information that's necessary for us to even initiate the um, arbitration process. So that's been a really big challenge. And what I mean by that is there's key points. There's supposed to be explanation as to how the payer came up with the QPA. That's the qualified payment amount. In addition, there's supposed to be information as to how to initiate open negotiations, which is basically the conditions precedent before you can even file an arbitration demand. If you look at the ERAs in contrast to the EOBs, the ERAs nine times out of 10, probably even 9.5 times out of 10 are lacking that place where you can go and bring the initial open negotiation notice. So what happens is 
the providers will go back to the payers, but the payers have largely outsourced the open negotiations to other vendors such as MultiPlan, Zealous, HST, or ClearHealth strategies. So you have th about three or four very common vendors that are doing this, but it's very payer specific. And so if you just go directly to the payer, they're not the proper party to adjudicate or even do the open negotiation. So you're already starting behind the eight ball. The other thing we're seeing is that the payer sometimes on the initial analysis of the claim, instead of issuing a denial, will say, we need more medical records. There's a very, very short time frame in which you can start the open negotiation process and really present these claims. And so when you get that initial open records notice, there's a it's gray as to whether that means that you need to present records and then the claim will get adjudicated and then you have your 30-day window, or if that is the initial is regarded as the initial denial that triggers all of your timeframes. So we're seeing a lot of those snags that we're trying to sort through and figure out. Is it timely to go proceed because the claim hasn't technically been adjudicated yet, but it's also not been denied yet? And so it's this gray area, and sometimes the payers are holding very staunchly to, nope, that that's the first response back. That's your 30-day window. Go forth. And other payers are a little bit more flexible on all fronts, including if you filed the notices improperly with directly with the payers versus their third parties. They've sometimes been willing to say, okay, we'll go by the debt, the timeline. And if you were tr tried to be timely, we'll continue proceeding with you. So those, those are some of the hiccups. In addition, the biggest challenge we're seeing with the NSA is once a claim has been adjudicated with the IDRE and we have what's called a disposition, the payers aren't paying and there's no really great vehicle in order to get them to pay. So what we're seeing is some of these wins are significant, and yet we can't get them funded. So that's having a huge impact on our financial revenue cycle stream. It's having a huge impact on the ability to continue operations because when you're having delays in getting funded, it's not it, it, it's an unhealthy balance sheet essentially. So we have these really great paper victories out there for the providers, but the payers aren't being able to pay them timely. The other thing we're seeing on top of the lack of timeliness with the payments for the dispositions is that a lot of the payers are saying, okay, well, you won on this claim, but we're, we realized we overpaid you on a wholly unrelated claim, different employer group, different service, or different patient, different patient base, et cetera. And we're just going to recoup. And oh my goodness, it's shocking. But the overpayment for this other patient happens to be identical to what you just were awarded. And so we're running into that with several of the major payers in the country where we're, where the providers are seeing this incident where they'll have a great recovery and they're expecting a payment and then they'll get issued an, e an ERA or an EOB and they'll notice that the EOB renders a zero payment. And then they have to break it down and spend a lot of manpower and work to figure out, well, where did the payment go? Why aren't we getting paid? And then the, we see it's a completely unrelated claim. And the one thing that was really lacking in the guidance is how to in, how to get paid. And so one of the things that we've noted going forward, CMS is working to get some rules in terms of getting the vendors, so the IDRE folks paid up front by the not whoever wins on the dispositions. But they we've 
raised to CMS that there's no proper vehicle for the providers to go after the payers and vice versa for the payers to go after the providers if they went on the dispositions. Now that said, they have some internal mechanisms such as the recoupment demands that they can use, but the providers don't have that similar luxury of being able to say to the payers, hey, we went on this dispute, you need to get us paid. Got it, got it. That all makes complete sense. Thank you so much for sharing those insights with us. It definitely sounds like there's a way to go. Um, but specifically, what are some of the issues we are seeing with the open notice initiation? So the, the open notice initiation, we're seeing a couple of things that are problematic. The first is that the QPA has been very, very vague. We were told by a number of the third parties that have come in to help do the open negotiations that they've had to really work with the payers to even include that information on their materials. And one thing that we've noticed is, and this has been brought up during the open negotiation initiation, is that the QPA will be listed as one thing. It, what they usually do, it's on the last page of the EOB, so the explanation of benefits, and it will say, okay, claim line one, QPA, so $5,000 hypothetically, but then you go up into the actual EOB and look at what was paid, and they say the allowable is something wholly different. So there's not a lot of transparency between what was that QPA that was determined by the payer, how they came up with that number, and then why they didn't even use that number that we don't necessarily agree with either, but it's always, we found it's always lower in the EOB where it has the um, allowable amount. And so that's been one of the um, issues with the open negotiation, with the open notice initiation. The other thing that's come up is that the open notice initiation requires CPT codes in order for you to initiate. That's very voluminous. That And there, there's several different codes that are related to a hospital state. So facilities in particular are having a very difficult time availing themselves to the NSA, because what we're seeing is they, they handle their revenue cycle through revenue codes. So they bunch up a bunch of CPT codes as one revenue code, and that is how they alloc that's how they set out their funds and their reimbursements. The, what we're seeing with the NSA is it's not compatible with that protocol. And they instead utilize the CPT code system. So we're not able to do an apples to apples comparison sometimes. And the NSA requires that it's a very difficult process to bundle or batch claims. So even if you have multiple CPT codes, such as for CT scans, you'll have diagnostic CT, and then you'll have various CTs that are specific to an area. So you could have a patient coming in and getting a hot, an emergency care, having diagnostic imaging plus three or four different forms of CT scanning, and all four of those claims plus the emergency component of their care all have to be handled via different open notice initiations and different NSA complaints. So that's incredibly time consuming because each one takes about an hour or so to fill out just the initial complaint form. That's not the position statements and all the other data. But in addition to that, just starting the open negotiation, you're going to have to start with multiple open negotiation requests because they're all CPT specific. So that's one of those are some of the biggest headaches. In addition to that, 
as I noted earlier, another problem we're seeing is just we don't even know who to go to. Some of the providers just don't know who to go to sometimes. And then there's also a problem where there's not a response. Once you do go to somebody, there is a tremendous lag. You don't always get responded to. And if you do get responded to, sometimes it's at the very end of the open initiation period and the payers haven't been very open to extending the deadline. So a, a party will notice it within 30 days of receiving their EOB. And then the payers will then take another 30 days from there to even initiate a response. So when you're operating on very short time frames in order to negotiate, that gets problematic. And then it becomes like this, this race to the finish. And I think if people allotted more time, that would be a better process. I was very encouraged by the CMS's proposed rules, though, because I think a lot of the hiccups that we're seeing with the open notice initiation are going to be resolved. And the C the federal IDR is going to have a registry for all of the payers, and it's and they're going to be running the open notice initiation now. So when you initiate, you're going to have to file it with CMS, essentially. And I think that's going to take some of this lag issue and some of the questions as to where does this party go, where does the provider go to, where does somebody go to to initiate discussions, that's going to be largely resolved. So it looks like if the proposed rules that were just issued last week actually get into effect, we're going to be, all, all the parties are going to be much better off going forward. Wow, wow. Well, thank you so much for explaining that. It definitely seems like a process that is just missing the mark and could take a lot of time to deal with. Um, but speaking on the provider aspect, Carrie, what are the concerns with the NSA arbitration process from a provider uh, perspective? I think they're, they're multi they're multifold, but what I would say the biggest concerns are how do we initiate? Number one, who do we go? Who's the party we go to? The second one is how can we make this a cost-effective approach? Because some of the claims are low dollar, but they still warrant they still warrant review. And so there's not a great protocol yet for the bundling and batching. They're they're working on it. They're having, they're making some adjustments here and there, but I think this is a continuing process. But that's been a huge concern for the providers. And then lastly, what happens when we don't get paid? And so right now, what CMS has advised is go to the state and departments of insurance or file a complaint with CMS. But again, these are very time consuming. And, you know, several providers have had to declare bankruptcy recently, especially on the air ambulance front, because of this really long delay in reimbursements after they win on the NSA, on these NSA dispositions. So those are the biggest things. It's that you want to see a process in place that actually does what it's designed to do. And when it works, it works incredibly well. It's an incredibly effective tool. And like I said at the beginning, everybody wins when things are working on all fronts because the payers are getting are, are getting these adjudicated as well as the providers are getting them adjudicated. And it's kind of like I, I joke with my clients when they go into a mediation, when both sides walk out displeased, that was the greatest day ever you had a success. That's sort of what this process is like because you're having to go in and do a QPA analysis on both fronts. You're having to really do a hard look at what your numbers are and where you should be. It's not, yes, I'm due 100% full bill charges anymore. So that's a huge win on the payer side where it's a very comprehensive analysis for both the payers and the providers. But 
when you don't get the when you're not seeing it paid, that's a real problem. And so, and when it's not working out and when you're putting in all this effort and then you get nothing at the end of the day, that's the huge problem. So I'd say those are really from the provider perspective where the root, you know, the biggest issues. It's just how do you initiate? What's the time commitment? And then in terms of just getting everything on file and then are you going to get paid even if you win? Because paper victories are not fun. Yeah, completely. Thank you so much for giving us that explanation. And do you think the timeline is realistic for presenting these claims under the NSA? No, I, I think that they're wholly unrealistic. And that's been another huge issue. They're unrealistic on multiple fronts. First, the 30 days in order to get a claim is too short. We're not getting the EOBs. Typically, we're getting EF and the ERAs because we're getting electronic fund transfers. So you have to get a revenue cycle person either going to the payer websites or working with a, a third-party administrator, and there's a time lag. So that's the first problem with the time frame. And just have 30 days is, is so short. And what we're seeing is that the payers are using the NSA as a vehicle and saying, hey, this is the only way we're going to talk to you even though there's still ERISA rights under every, the NSA is not exclusively the only way to handle these out-of-network claims. You still have rights under ERISA and the Affordable Care Act, especially under the emergency side, but the payers are taking a lot of liberties. So they're holding the, the provider's feet to the fire. Yet on the other hand, the payers aren't adjudicating the claims within their own 30-day timeline because multiple times you'll get denials for medical records or we need to get X, Y, and Z from you. Even it's like sometimes it's not even a medical record. They just want an itemized bill and that's the holdup. So they're not following the timeline, but they're holding us to th these timelines. The other issue is that once the open negotiation period is over, you have four business days to initiate the complaint. Again, that is a very short time frame. And so everything's being done on this very rushed basis when I think that it would be better off if they gave folks up to two years or f even four years on the state level for the IDR process, it's a four-year window. So it doesn't make sense to me that there's only this 30-day window to pursue these claims under the federal statute. So I, I think that there needs to be some additional time given, especially because some there's things that get lost in the communication and there's confusion on both sides as to what truly is that first correspondence about the claim. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Thank you so much for explaining that. And before I let you go, Carrie, the last thing I wanted to ask you is what are your initial thoughts on the Fed's proposed changes to the NSA process? I think that it's a great start and doesn't go nearly far enough. I think that they are very much listening to the concerns and criticisms of the providers and the payers to try to make it a more transparent process. And they're also recognizing that there's this tremendous lag because there's just too much volume right now in the portal. But I don't think it went far enough. And I, I think the biggest frustration is that there is no built-in requirement requirements to get that payment made. They're coming up with pay, I they're coming up with proposed changes to make sure that the IDREs are going to get paid their arbitration costs, but there's nothing in the new proposed rules that discussed what was going to happen if the providers aren't paid by the payers and what are the enforcement mechanisms on that front. And it'd be interesting to see that because I think that 
if they were able to fix that piece, this process would be much different. And I think it would be more widely that that would be one of the key game changers for the providers. But I, I will say I was very optimistic in what I was seeing. And I've, I've sat in on some of the CMS calls discussing these proposed rules and they are listening to the providers. They do want to know one of the things they really encouraged us are to file complaints. And I think, and while providers are typically leery of doing that, I think that that has to be understood as that is going to be the way this will get changed because CMS is not a mind reader. They don't know what's going on and they can their data is only as good as their complaints. And so the encouragement to continue providing these complaints and the fact that there's no penalty the pay, the providers aren't penalized in the process. I think that's that that's going, you know, that's something that's very helpful. Um, some of the proposed changes, just to give you a couple that were up, that I was really happy to see were the IDR registry. I think that's going to be very great because that's going to have a, a more seamless link with the open negotiation process. And what it also does is there's confusion sometimes with the providers they can't identify if the plan is actually subject to the No Surprises Act. The EOBs and the ERAs are very generic in that sense where they say it could be applicable. And so this registry is designed to help weed out the claims and the IDA and the complaints that actually aren't IDR eligible. And that's going to open the door for more volume, more meaningful volume getting to the IDREs. So that was a great, I think that's an excellent development. Another good development is that the payers are going to be required to provide better remittance codes that explain the denial bases or how they calculated the QPAs. Again, it's all about transparency, and that's what this process has been really great about illuminating. And it, it's a start. It's something I told clients, you know, give yourselves about three years. We're going to see about five different incarnations of this process. And then about year three, three and a half, we're going to see it really hit its stride. And so far, I've been spot on with what I anticipated in the protocols, because it, it it's a learning curve and every party needs to kind of figure out their lane in this. And everybody's doing an admirable job getting there, but it is a process and that is, we're seeing that right now. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carrie, for your time and thought-provoking responses today. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and we will also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Bracewell. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckerspodcast.com. Thank you again, Carrie. Oh, my pleasure, y'all. Thank you for the opportunity.